Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So, Paul, we're going to carry on our side-by-side analysis of this fine platter. I love the way the the dialogue here, the the interplay between Peter Cook's characters, has really got a full head of steam by this time. The humour's really, really coming through on a regular basis. There's a lot more zing about the way the characters talk to each other. The jokes are better. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a spark, a bit of, bit of flirting, um, a bit of piss taking, some in jokes going on, which I really, really like. And I, I love the, the the way this this side opens with Stapleton saying, uh, "Oh, you know, why don't we just not bother with the divorce?" And uh, <laughs> which drives Peppermint absolutely crazy. <laughs> he, doesn't it? he hates that. Not bother. <laughs> And uh, he's, he's so fiery. I love the way he just shouts half his dialogue. It's, it's marvellous. Oh, well, that's a load off my mind. I don't want to be a troublemaker, but uh, mind it be simpler if we didn't bother about the divorce. Not bother? Yes, it would save all this quarrelling between you and uh, nice Mr Haig. It is not my habit to quarrel. I have never quarrelled in my life. We are merely trying to agree at a rational level how best to construct a solid divorce. And now, after all this time, when you are already semi-divorced, you raise the whole miasma of not getting divorced at all. This is becoming a legal nightmare. Can't teach ducks to dance. But there's a there's a, a a funny bit here that we we kind of talked about in an earlier podcast, Paul, when we were talking about the harmony that comes in every time a character says whole peppermint says raising the whole miasma and i think there's a bit of a missed opportunity not to have a burst of ah, when he says the word whole that's but that's me just being pedantic and maybe i've got the wrong end of the stick uh, but we've got little little touches as well Haig's talking to his secretary miss farthing and i think veronica his wife's on the phone and he says, oh, tell Veronica I'm... Uh, and then we hear Blint downstairs. Yeah, half piss <laughs> in the far distance. Yeah. Just to remind you, Mr Haig, to feed the goldfish. Uh, let me have that in writing later. And your wife's on the line from the yacht. Oh, is she? Well, uh, <laughs> tell Veronica I'm uh, half pissed. You're in conference, Mr Haig. Which is exactly what I'm in. In conference. I love that. And then you've got a, a, an interesting little thing where Pepperman picks up the phone the, on the outside line and, and rings Labrooks on his account. Obviously, his numbers add up to 17. We looked at that before. And uh, Godly and Cream in Harmony, or maybe just Kev in Harmony, uh, are the voice of Labrooks replying, which I think is a nice touch. It's really interesting that Pepperman's asking about the betting on the Nembutol triumph hurdle. Right. Have you heard of Nembutol? No, what does that mean? I, I had to look it up. It's a, a euthanasia drug. It's illegal in this country. You can buy it kind of mm. on, on the web, and the dark web, I presume, um, used to put people, I quote, peacefully to sleep. Good Lord. That, that certainly fits with Peter Cook's sense of humour, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, looking back to some of the topics they touched on with Derek and Clive. Labrooks, good morning. 
Gambling is our trade. This is M for Malcolm, P for Peppermint, Malcolm Peppermint, PEC 2528. How do they bet the Nembutol Triumph Hurdle? Sorry, no racing, no flat or steeple chasing. The course is bloody. bloody. I'll try the greyhounds then. No dog racing. Not the weather, surely. They cannot find the dogs. Jesus. Ladbrokes, good morning. Yeah, just as an aside there, I mean, um, I don't know whether you you remember uh, Peter Cook's um, prowess or, or, or otherwise as a pianist when he uh, temporarily <laughs> takes over the piano from uh, from Dudley, who, of course, is a great pianist. I think With his little pee into the girl from Amsterdam. Yeah, the first line is, I met a girl from Amsterdam, and that's about as much as we could possibly <laughs> broadcast. But he just plays... Duh, 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 duh. I wonder what notes they are. <laughs> <laughs> Dudley would be able to tell us, bless you. Yeah, and very dark. And it, it, his other bet he talks about is having um, a, a bet on career for a tie. Very, yeah. very tasty, that. Yeah, and preceding that, the, the whole the bet on World War Two that, that, that Haig made. There's a lot of World War Two references yeah. dotted throughout the album. Um, mm. We're about to, to come to the, the formation of uh, Blint's character, which, which is, you know, embedded uh, in, or in, comes from World War Two. Mm. And there's uh, Honolulu Lulu, as you mentioned before, has um, connotations perhaps with the, you know, forces in, in the Pacific mm. and um, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, was, mobilization of course on the next side which yeah that's more con- that's more modern warfare uh, world yeah. war Two. I, w- I wonder whether world war Two. it just shows us now at 40 years remove that uh you know the protagonists peter cook and godley and cream uh well cook i think was born in the 40s was he or maybe even the 30s mm. uh godley and cream very early 50s and although um you know that was after the war as as it were when they grew up it was of the generation that the you know the the, the impact mm. uh, cultural the impact have, you know felt the full impact of that wouldn't they? yeah exactly so that that's just as more of a general observation not anything that's necessarily related to the plot but mm. it's, it's just it seeps through um, yeah, in yeah. the same way that it does in Roger Waters' work. Exactly. As you get into later Floyd, the, 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 the Second World War becomes an obsession, doesn't it? Yes, yes. So maybe it's in that sort of way. It just sort of permeates the whole the family culture. Yeah, someone's going to write in and tell us, of course, that Roger Waters' father was tragically killed yeah. um, in the war. But yeah. um, that's could, a very personal reason for his obsession. Sure, and and there, there, might be that, there might be that history here. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. That's right. And then we get a lovely little episode where Stapleton's telling a story of unsuccessful attempts to buy meat from the local butchers, <laughs> which has got a couple of references to earthy things, like, yeah. like twigs. Twigs, our favourite inanimate object. And carrots. And there's just the, the sort of lovely supernaturalness about the story. It's the longest um, uninterrupted speech on the record, I would have thought, isn't it? It goes on. Yeah. Um, a soliloquy, almost, about, uh, on the surface, yeah, buying um, or attempting to buy, um, you know, food from the uh, meat from the butcher, isn't it? But um, what's really happening, it's, it, it becomes clear, is that all the animals 
um, the domestic pets in in this case are are fleeing mm. somewhere from somewhere to somewhere. They're aware of the impending uh, uh, tragedy that's about to happen, just like the stampede that we saw in, in, in Side One. Yeah, it's like they've got a sixth sense of of, uh, of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. and you say that no dogs. And Stapleton very very calmly mentions that he just happened to bump into Mrs. Kretsch and that's a callback because he clearly was dreaming about her early on in, in side three. So, uh, you know, he's, he's got feelings for this mysterious Mrs. Kretsch. Definitely. And it's funny, in my little bit of research about the four humours relating to the four elements, uh, in his personality trait, the phlegmatic earth character neighbourliness is is one of those characteristics okay That's so you can you can sort of picture him in talking over the the garden fence with, the, with yeah. his neighbour mrs crutch can't you what about the sound effects there oh, the I love it. intermittent use of sudden bursts of percussion and these kind of ah scary sounds when when i listened to this you know uh, first this section really scared me mm. and it's only dialogue and then the occasional sudden burst of sound effects mm. it's that's right, you know, Kev hitting these timbales or something yeah, really quite hard. It's virtually nothing, but it, you know, by hell, it conjures up an atmosphere. Yeah. It re- really works. But there's some, some other lovely touches during, during Stapleton's little monologue here. You, get, you hear Blint's piano downstairs playing the, the main melody from Stampede right. from side one. Ah, well, that fits with the, what they're talking about, the animals. Exactly what you're saying about the animals fleeing. And also there's a, just a burst of a few notes from a saxophone. And I'm thinking if that's just a, a, a very direct reference to when things go wrong. Yeah, probably an outtake from, is it Mel Collins who, yeah. who played, you know, a bit of, bit of his um, saxophone edited in there. Yeah. It's odd, you know, no dogs. It reminds me, I went to the butcher's the other day and ordered a leg of lamb. Well, I've known Jack Harris for years. But when I asked for a leg of lamb, he gave me a strange look, and I thought, that's strange. Jack Harris giving me a strange look. I mean, we're not strangers, but he gave me this strange look. But I thought nothing of it. And he went to the back of the shop where he keeps the lamb and come back. Well, there was nothing odd about that. That's what he usually does. But when he handed the lamb over, he gave me this strange look again. So I looked at the leg of lamb and saw he'd given me a bunch of six carrots. Well, it's not like Jack to give you six carrots instead of a leg of lamb. Because he's never specialised in vegetables as a butcher. But I paid my seven pounds and thought nothing of it. But on the way home, I ran into Mrs Kretsch from number four and told her about the carrots. She said, that's strange because I was in Jack Harris's shop yesterday and ordered some best mints. Well, he gave me this strange look. And when he came back with the mints, it wasn't in a plastic bag like normal. He gave me this box, all wrapped up in silver paper with a pink ribbon round it. Well, I, I thought nothing of it. But when I got home and opened it up, I found three twigs. Well, it's not like Jack to give you twigs instead of mints. And Hermes, that's my cat, is not a big twig eater. Anyway, I I turned round and called to Hermes, and he wasn't there. I haven't seen him since. 
I reckon he knew about the twigs. Yeah, and I, I had to look up the name of Stapleton's cat, Hermes, mm-hmm. god of trade uh, uh, and commerce. M- Mrs. Cretch's cat, I think. Oh, Mrs. Cretch's. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the connection is there. Maybe he's talking about Jack the Butcher, isn't he? Jack Harris, the Butcher. Yeah. So maybe it's just a little nod to... But I don't know, it's a bit tenuous, isn't it? <laughs> Here we are. We're trying to over... <laughs> no, I'm trying to overanalyze. <laughs> no, I, think to bo- I think we're both <laughs> guilty of that. Yeah. And then do you want to, do you want to talk about Lulu's black knickers? Uh, can I do this? 40 years <laughs> on? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the more comic... Uh, <clears throat> Pieces, um, it, yeah, it's Blint, isn't it? Who asks mm. what 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 colour knickers uh, uh, is your client wearing? Excuse me, prying, but what colour knickers are you wearing, Mrs. Stapleton? Is this really necessary, Mr. Blint? Sometimes, I don't mind. The knickers are black. Satisfied, Mr. Blint. My client's knickers are black. And now, will you please go away? Oh, yes, it was just that in the eventuality of the lady leaping over my hole while I was downstairs, I could be quite certain that some crow had not invaded the premises. Which reminds me, I'd better get on with it. Get on with anything you like. Yeah, a bit tenuous, that, isn't it? Yeah. And I think Blint is a bit a bit naughty, isn't he? He's a bit flirtatious. Yeah, there's a lovely little bit uh, coming inside five where they're all jumping down the hole. We may as well mention it here. Have you noticed how he just mits it, mishits one piano note slightly as as, uh, as Lulu comes comes crashing down and he kind of sneaks a peek yeah. at the underwear. Definitely black. Exactly. <laughs> And, of course, he comes out with that great line, doesn't he? There's all this kind of idle talk, and then he says he he better get on with it. Foreboding. Cue foreboding sound effects again. Superb. And then we have uh, a really interesting chat uh, as Lulu goes down in the lift into, into Blint's room. Lovely scene shift there again, isn't there? Yeah. Added reverb to indicate they're in a different space. That's right. You're in the lift with them, aren't you? You're in the lift and, 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 the, and the, the soundscape changes and there's a the dripping sound and, mm. and everything's echoing around. You're clearly in, a, in, in, uh, in his workspace rather than back in the lawyer's office, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's about to tell her about his, uh, his late wife, Rosie. Right. Who dies with a, a V2 attack in in uh, the East End of London, I think. Yes. And Blint does this lovely sort of musical palm reading of Lulu, and he's, he's, he says that his piano has uh, he has all the questions and she has all the answers, and he's he's just kind of just tickling the keys and says, "Oh yes," and then he identifies Lulu's key as. C-sharp minor. Right. It's so boring, these teeth. I go with Monsieur Blint. ex teeth. I'll have to drink about that. It's a very nasty little place you have here. Thank you. Musicians flourish in an atmosphere of studied chaos. It's taken me years to achieve this mess. You play much? Oh, yes, I'd say I was married to my piano. I have all the questions and she has all the answers. 
Let me see, what are you? Oh yes, definitely, C-sharp minor. I'm E-flat, so we're reasonably compatible. Your husband looks like a G major. I only married Walter to get a work permit. I am, uh, how you say in uh, English, a master's. Rosie was a C-sharp minor. Do you want to yeah, talk us we, through we, that? Yeah, we, we were trying to analyse what he says about... Uh, he, he doesn't assign keys to everybody. Um, uh, Lulu, as Sean's just said, there is a um, uh, C-sharp C-sharp minor. minor. That's right. Uh, he himself is an E-flat blint. Um, he then goes on to call Stapleton a G major. Well, we can say there's some valid musical theory there because the keys of C sharp minor and G major are a tritone apart that's the furthest musical distance so there's understandably no compatibility whatsoever between Stapleton and Lulu which mm. means it wasn't a good idea for the two of them to hook up and get married the relationship they almost, they almost have no no notes in no common no common do tones they? i think that's right yeah so that 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 makes a lot of sense um he he goes on to say that uh, Lulu and himself are reasonably compatible, as he describes it. I'm not quite sure of the compatibility between C sharp minor and E flat. Mm. Um, we probably need a, 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 a better someone musical on a different th- level. We I need think. somebody yeah. who can really knows about musical theory to to to, um, to explain that. We'll come back to you on that one, unless unless one of you fine listeners has got any ideas. Would love to hear. It might be Peter Cook, just kind of going off on one and it's a bit of poetic license i think it could be yeah but because the tritone thing about the other two i I got a feeling it's somewhere somewhere between bollocks and (laughs) genuine musical theory i like i like the fact that stapleton's a a g he could have been a a a c because that's a very no-nonsense key isn't it with with no black notes yeah g's got one black note yeah an f sharp so yeah that kind of um that makes sense to me uh, and there's uh, again a, a nice what I think is a, is an in joke. After Peter Cook's probably been holed up in the studio with with Lol and Kev for a good few weeks now, Lulu says, "Oh, it's a very nasty little place you have here," and of course Blint's thrilled to bits by that comment, and says that musicians flourish in an atmosphere of studied chaos. Yes, exactly. He's got to be referring to the, the state of, of Strawberry I think and, he, and or the Manor. I think he's referring to the state of all musicians. Uh, Rooms, sheds, whatever. So I think that's very, that's a very incisive comment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we have the song Rosie. Rosie, I wish that you were here. I miss you so much, Rosie. My dear, my Rosie, Rosie. I miss the hell that we raised And the trails that we blazed I miss the other half of me My Rosie, my Rosie Rosie, we played our song to death Now the piano's out of tune and the singers out of breath Rosie, do you love me still? Rosie, my little daffodil 
possibly my least favourite song on the album, Paul. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, it, well, it, it's required listening in that it gives us the background to um, Blint's character. Mm. It tells us a lot of why he is what he is. The fact that his fiance was was killed um, during a, a, a doodlebug attack in the Blitz. One supposes in in the East End. Yeah, V V one, not V two, as I said earlier, but hey ho. Yeah, V1. Well, that that had that dreaded... The V1 was the one where the engine cut out. I mean, I've heard this from uh, um, not my grandparents, but I can't remember who it was, but somebody who had first-hand, first-hand account of being terrified by the sound or rather the lack of sound of a V1. Because while the engine was running, you were safe. When the engine stopped, as they were designed to do as they approached their target, right. they just dropped at that point. Okay. So this was, it was a, a horrible Terrifying, thing. Terrifying, you think. A, 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 an instrument of real terror, this, mm. this flying missile. Uh, so that, that's interesting. Everyone was screaming and shouting and making the most appalling noise, so not unnaturally I uh, popped out to see exactly what had happened. Somebody told me that the... The bomb had missed the Palais by inches, but had totally destroyed the next street. The next street. We live in the next street. Rosie. There's certainly, there's certainly a really nice sense of pathos, isn't there, with this song? Uh, particularly towards the end, as, as Blint's, you know, getting quite teary-eyed, and uh, you can hear it in his, in his trembling voice. Um, you know how the the next street's completely destroyed. Rosie lives there, and I, I think it it does add quite a bit of emotional depth to the character of Blint. Yeah, there's a nice uh, it's nice the way the vocals handed over from the initial spoken piece by Peter Cook to mm. to Kev, and then back at the end. Yeah, that, Kev playing like the young Blint. Yeah, that, that's a really that's a really that's a really good trick, mm. um, a really good device, I should say. Rosie, do you love me still? Rosie, my broken daffodil. And, and Godlin Cream again are, are being great mimics of music from different eras. You know, we had the South Pacific stroke Pearl Harbor kind of references in Honolulu Lulu, and this one's very much the kind of song around the old Joanna in, yeah, in the Yeah, musical East End Knees Up. Yeah, yeah. What do you think the significance of Harry is? Because Blint says, turns around to Harry, supposedly his mate, but then um, in Cool, 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 we get the reference to Harry the horse. Mm. Do you think there's anything significant about that? Never thought of it. Okay. But we should give it some thought. Right. I'm Monsieur Blint. Rising? Ah, oh. Mrs Stapleton. Did you hear the news about Wall Street? No, I don't work the streets. I visit hotels. It fell today amidst active trading. They estimate it will take four years to rebuild. Poor little girls. I am 34, Monsieur Blind. Naturally. So Blink comes out of his reverie, doesn't he, with the, the, those traumatic memories of losing Rosie uh, and suddenly realises that he's... he's He's there with Mrs. Stapleton, Lulu. And then um, they have a little chat about how Wall Street has fallen down. Yeah. Literally. 
Um, and there's a, a bit of a, a, a chat where they misunderstand each other about her walking the streets as a prostitute. Yeah, just the slightest hint of irritation in her voice when she says, I don't work the streets, Monsieur Blind. Yeah. Yeah, she's very polite otherwise, but I think uh, yeah. she's a different kind of prostitute. <laughs> we have, um, I think, three references to, to the numbers again here. Blint says that Wall Street will take four years to rebuild, you know, maybe that's a subtle harking back to the, the four elements. Do you think there's an interrupt you there? Do you think there's a call back to the Wall Street shuffle there? Do you think that's I was it? just about to, about, yeah. about to say something about that. Right, OK. Possibly, yeah. possibly. Um, whether Peter Cook was aware of it, I don't know. Right. Lulu gives her age, 34. Twice 17. That's right, naturally. And, uh, and then a buzz on the intercom from... The secretary, Miss Farthing. Right. Miss Farthing's a, a, Farthing's a quarter of, a, of an old penny. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a, a fourth thing going on there. Could be. Yeah. And her excuse is, my niece is on fire. Right. Strange. But again, it's, you know, a direct reference to one of the elements. And then we have that fantastic track, don't we? Yeah, called Office Chase. Yeah. Which is essentially Miss Farthing being chased around the office or offices by what? Nature's fury. We're not sure what's after her, but it's something pretty nasty. Or maybe it's the niece herself who's, who's running, uh, running around the office on fire. OK, I never thought of that. Uh, and Miss Farthing and, and, and her snidey sort of co-secretaries yeah. uh, are watching on in, in bemusement. Yeah, there's this wonderful use of, again, the changing viewpoint as she runs through different spaces, some small, some big, doors, again, doors. They're opening, slamming and changing, changing the soundscape and that uh, incredible use of, percussive use of the typewriters. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, we, we heard that, didn't we, on a previous podcast? It's fantastic. There's great, great drumming on this Yeah, track. great, great work on his toms there from, from Kev. Yeah. Uh, some real syncopation. Sure, superb. The typewriter's brilliant. And uh, some great guitar work uh, and bass as well on this as well. bass on there, okay. It's an unusual sound. It's almost like a synth. I don't think it's the gizmo. I think it's too percussive for that. Right. But really, really fabulous. This is a track definitely to, to play in headphones. I think the, the live action element of it, the voices, the movement, the, the doors, are probably recorded with their Sennheiser head, right. with the mics inserted where the ears should be, and, and that gives you that really convincing stereo image that, that makes it so authentic. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really underrated track, this. 
Um, and it reminds me of, of mobilization, which is coming on the next side, which again is very pictorial, uh, very cinematic, and it, and it moves from scene to scene. You, you really do get a visual sense of going into another space. Right. And I love it when in Office Chase, she goes through a door into the, 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 type, the typing pool. Yeah, the main typing and pool. And suddenly they've used a bit of slapback delay to kind of enhance the stereo picture. And you suddenly feel like you're surrounded by typewriters. Yeah. And, and the snidey secretary says, oh, Miss Farthing, I suppose your niece is on fire again. Same excuse every time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, yeah, a, a lovely visual track there. And then, of course, there's the big crash. <laughs> silence. Use again. of silence again. Yeah. And then, so rather than dialogue, we switch to blint... Um, working downstairs again mm. on his piano concerto. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting that the, the sound of banging or tapping on the wall uh, is combined with the, the lovely swirly gizmo wind sound effect so that every hit of the, the fist or the hammer or whatever it is affects the wind. Ding, ding, ding. They're using that, that noise gap. Okay, again. Yeah, really, really clever. Stop that. Stop that, please. I'm trying to concentrate. Very well. Let's see if it works. But Blint's playing the piano, and as Stapleton quite rightly notes on the next side, when Blimp plays the piano, a certain tune, the wind dies down. And I think that's our first clue, isn't it? That, yes, it's that our first direct clue that the, the, the piano concerto can affect the weather, can yeah. stop it. Have you, um, have you noticed, I've always thought the end of that phrase he plays there, da, 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 I'm just waiting for him to go, I got the cool water and fever. It sounds like the beginning of Paul Simon's Something So Right. Ah. Uh, subconscious lift if anything it's just what i hear in my head and do you think that might link to the, the the next song on the album cool cool in the morning oh goodness that that's a bit of a leap i never thought mm. that could be which could has be. elements of the beach boys in there maybe cool cool water ah that that that's a that's a definite reference mm. i think the paul simon thing a bit more tenuous yeah. not sure i like you thinking though excellent and then uh, there's a really important blint bit coming up for me uh, he, he, he comes up in his lift again to disturb a, 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 their machinations with trying to take a Polaroid <laughs> of Lulu's tea yeah. and uh, Haig drops it in the goldfish bowl I uh, just popped up to see if I was disturbing you to be frank Mr Blint you are <laughs> there you are Mrs Stapleton yes if it's money you're after I am willing to rent your whole for an agreed period. Oh, no. I was just telling Mrs Stapleton about the piano and the wind. I also mentioned that though my musical orientation is more Bach than Beach Boys, I do take an interest in the world of popular music. 
I'm something of an expert, but can be fallible. I remember being very surprised by Jean Chandler and the Duke of Earl. I never saw that as chart material. The lyrics meant little to me. Duke, 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 Duke of Earl. Duke, 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 Duke of Earl. Would you Duke, smile, Duke, please, Mrs. Tableton? Smile? Duke me? What about? Duke, Duke, Not about anything! Duke, Duke, we need Duke, the documentation! How these bloody Duke, things focus. Duke, I've Duke never seen her smile Duke, before. Duke, I'm not sure Duke, that I like Duke, it. Duke, Duke Sorry, Roland. But she seems to be developing in spite of everything. You can stop smiling now, Mrs. Tableton. It's getting on my nerves! They didn't grab me. On the other hand, I was the first to recognise At The Hop as a chart-bound sound. You see, Danny and the Juniors had a... Well, never mind. I see that I'm distracting you from your work. And me from mine. That's what my dad used to say. A feast is more than enough. I did a lot of thinking about this, and both of the records use doo-wop style harmonies on. Right. But the intro of Duke of Earl has one single voice. So there's no harmonies at all and it's quite it's sort of edgy. Duke, 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 Duke of Earl. One single voice. Whereas throughout the at the hop you've got a lovely, very straight, very obvious building of four-part harmony. Ah, uh, one, three, five, seven, one, three, five, seven. Right. Like that. Rather like the, the chord shape that we talked about for the whole, you know, sort of a, almost like a straight line of harmony, if okay. that makes any sense yeah, yeah. at all. So I think Peter Cook's probably chosen a very, very appropriate song there where the harmonies are, are separated but very, very tightly knitted together. Mm. And, and every, every line of the song is, is supported by, these, by this four-part harmony that, that holds it all together. So I think he, he's chosen well there. And I think that all goes back to the, the four elements being in harmony and him being an admirer of that and, and very much wanting that to, to be... The state of play with the world. Whereas with Duke of Earl, you've got in, an individual element, if you like, going off on its own, you know, furrowing its, its, its plowing its own furrow. And because he's not so much so much an admirer of that, he wants to bring disparate individual elements together to be a whole. Makes sense. It certainly does. Mm. After this, we, we we come back to the, the the scene upstairs, and all the while now we're hearing. Well, we'd earlier heard occasional police sirens or ambulance sirens mm. going by, but this this uh, noise is gradually swelling into um, public um, address announcements telling people way in the background, but you can hear it if you listen out, to evacuate the buildings quietly, silently. So we've got the four characters still not just not opening their eyes to what's going on, but mm. uh, there's, a, uh, there's a state of emergency outside. Everybody's being asked to evacuate the buildings. They're, they're not aware of it. And that, that noise, um, there's, no, there's no 
there's something in the background from here on in, isn't there? Mm. Uh, everything's beginning to fall apart. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's always there. Uh, so now we've got uh, Roland, who is Haig's goldfish, <laughs> um, the demented goldfish, as, as Peppermint calls him, um, commits suicide. Mm. by jumping out of his bowl and through mm. a window. I'm not sure how he accomplishes that, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, the, the, the story here is that another animal is, is fleeing, just like the, the cats and dogs and, and the stampede earlier. Uh, we talked in the first podcast about the um, possible parallel with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. I mean, there isn't, there isn't too much of a crossover, but, of course, in that story, the dolphins leave the planet um, just before the, the destruction of Earth, when they say so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and uh, th- that, that's always been in- of interest to me, that, again, the animals are aware of something mere humans aren't. They're, yeah. they're, and, uh, they're fleeing um, first. Yeah. Now, if all relevant parties will sign the Polaroid, how can I be expected to carry on in an orderly fashion if, in addition to Mr Blint and his whole attic, I'm consistently distracted by your goldfish, Mr Hay. Have you no control over this goldfish? Or was this goldfish installed deliberately to distract? I think he just wants to get out. And so do we all. I never wanted to come in. But how can I concentrate with one eye on the demented goldfish and the other on some crank downstairs who talks about the wind and his piano? Wind and pianos are not the issue. Yeah, I'm sorry about Roland. My, my secretary forgot to remind me to feed him. I'll give him a snifter of what I'm having. That usually works with me. Ah, that's better. Now, where was I? And, and where were you? And where was everybody? And then there's a, a very interesting piece of dialogue from Blint, isn't there, Paul, where he first mentions the pyramids. Right which are basically E-flat, he says. Odd. I can't get my head around that one. Well, he, they're the same he, as... He, he the calls same himself E-flat. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yes. This attic is exactly 17 points southwest of the pyramid, of which you've doubtless seen photographs. Mr Blint, we're trying to sort something out. If you'd like to take a seat and listen quietly, by all means do so if you don't. No, it's not that. I just wanted to point out that pyramids are similar to icebergs, which are basically E-flat. What you see in these photographs is only the tip of the pyramids, whereas it's a matter of record that pyramids continue endlessly downwards till they come out at the other end as the top of deserts. Deserts being one of the few places where you don't get much fire or flooding. We are not here to discuss fire, flooding or E-flats. In that case, I'll leave you to weightier matters. He's, uh, he's equating himself with the pyramids, which fits in with something I, I think I might have got my head around. OK, before. Sean's got his notebook here. It's yeah, filled with hieroglyphs, so I want to see what he's got. <laughs> and uh, please, please, please write in uh, if you think this is complete and utter bullshit. But I've been doing a lot of things. I'm trying to get it in my head about the pyramids. Why the pyramids? Earlier we said it was bollocks, didn't we? But I, I'm not... <laughs> I think it's semi-bollocks. OK. One bollock, perhaps. Yeah. So, pyramids, as we know, four equal equilateral triangles poised on a, on a square base, basically. Right. So it's a, five sh- a five-sided shape mm-hmm. with four 
very equal sides. It's mm -hmm. interesting. So I'll come back to that in a minute. But I, I think I see a, where you're going. But carry yeah, on. a little bit of um, background reading on things known as uh, pyramid power, and uh, looking at uh, the ancient spiritual significance of pyramids. And, and there's an awful lot of theory behind why the Egyptians did actually build the pyramids and put their pharaohs inside them. Mm -hmm. Possibly not as a burial tomb, but as a healing space. As if they were trying to bring the pharaoh back to life, or at the very least, preserve their, their body for, forever. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out, it would appear, and this is on a lot of websites, that the, the pyramid shape is... Uh, a, is a space that can preserve food from going rotten and can even, if the, if the pyramids are pointing in the right direction, north to south, can bring used razor blades back to life. I'm um, sorry, can for, bring used razor, razor blades? Razor blades back to life so that they remain sharp, you know, for, for years. It's a bit of an odd one. And this pyramid power is all about things like, uh, it's... The pyramids are an integration of the self and the soul. That's something I read. But, and this is more, a bit more understandable, they collect energy from the, the stars, the planets, the universe, and deliver it down to Earth. Mm -hmm. So it's, if it, it's, it's like a, a receptacle. Yeah, a receiver. A, a receiver, receiver of, yeah. of, of spiritual energies. Okay. Uh, and in, among the Egyptians, many believe that there were, it was a powerful healing chamber. The Native Americans actually, interestingly, believe the shape connected them with the earth and the heavens above. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a conduit between the earth and the heavens. And I think, that's, I think that's really interesting. And I got thinking about this. And so if I can ask everyone just briefly to visualise a pyramid. So you've got those four equal sides that are each triangles with, with equal sides and a square base. I want you to picture the action of consequences with Blint's little cubbyhole downstairs as being the square rooted to the planet very much part of the planet and then above him in his attic are four currently conflicting forces but forces that he's hoping to bring together into into one form one shape if you like they're all equal and they, they meet together in an infinitely small point um, and I suppose virtually joined by an apex that goes from that point down into the very centre of the circle. And I just stupidly thought that the apex is Blint's lift. <laughs> thoughts. Th <laughs> thoughts. Um, nurse. <laughs> yeah. I think we've been doing this too long already. Yeah, yeah, I think, no, no. Um, I, I completely get the idea about the five-sided <coughs> figure and this, the, this, the stability of Blint as the base. Yeah. And these four, I can picture these four equilateral triangles kind of flapping about mm -hmm. and only finding stability and repose or rest when they meet. Yeah, at that, at glued that. together by Blint. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean... What Blint's going on about with the, the continuing endlessly down, coming out the other side as as the top of deserts? Yeah, that's got to be bollocks. Yeah, I but think if even if some of it means something, that that <laughs> that that's good. Yeah. After the the revelation of the the pyramids, suddenly we get Roland jumping out the window. Would you like me to calm your goldfish, Mister Haig? Roland can take care of himself. He always has. 
On your own head, be it. The fish, look at it. Oh, he's jumped out of the window. Oh, God, poor old Roland. That's life. Gone today, gone tomorrow. Yeah, and this... Roland is the protagonist in this song, right? It must be the only song written from the viewpoint of a, of a dying goldfish. <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> Who else can it be? It doesn't really have much kind of narrative well, re- relevance you, to any of the other characters, yeah, does it? Yeah, your really? life is over, so is mine. Yeah. It's Roland, isn't it? Jumping to his death from 20 feet above the London street. It's got to be. I can't think of any other explanation. But that's quite a nice idea. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really love It's Cool, Cool, Cool in the Morning. Uh, it's f- fabulous vocal arrangement. It really, it? really is. Again, the u- use of dynamics here, there's, um, it's a long time before you get um, the 4-4 beat coming in. Yeah. And when, you, when it does, it sounds as powerful as anything. And then it's only in for two bars and they drop it out again yeah. and then bring it back. It's, you know, it's it, uh, real less is more. Definitely. You know? And you've got the lovely... 12-8 sort of sail on sailor beach boys yes. uh groove haven't you yeah to, that to the chorus beautiful groove it could have gone on for way longer but they, they're, they're not going to give you that this isn't that kind of album yeah they could it, have built a lovely song around this but could have just, been a brilliant single yeah but they just they mix it up into different movements and it never settles but that's you know that's not the way this record works no definitely they're too playful for that sort of malarkey aren't they really yeah. But too, re- think, too restless, always want to move, move, move. New, move. new, 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 new. Again, loads of, of, of nice visual imagery floating down the river, the matchwood, the driftwood, and the, the Harry the Horse thing that you were talking about before. I'm sure that was a TV character, but I, perhaps a bit before our time. Yeah, you, you, you listeners may be surprised to hear there were things that were before our time. Mm. The pyramids, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Knifed in the back in the revolving door. That's doors. very dark, isn't it? It is. I'll be And, of course, we go back to the animals as well, don't we? Like a cat on a hot tin roof, right. a mouse on the run from the owl, and you're caught like a rat, yeah. etc. Uh, you know, we, we've seen lots of, of, of different animals either going crazy, nuts, trying to escape, and even committing suicide. And it's interesting that the suicide thing is kind of a throwback to Pepperman on the phone asking about the Nembutal the Nembutal race, yeah. suicide drug. You know, maybe the... I don't know, maybe there, there's a theme there of impending death that people would actually rather end their own lives than, than be destroyed by this by yeah. the world falling in on them. Now, this song is very black-sounding, 
pun intended, not just dark, but it, it's it's got its origins in, in black music. Mm. Kev, again, he mentions this in his autobiography, was a big fan of the blues, mm. which kind of came out in 10cc music. But this is, it's a very bluesy song, isn't it? The, 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 the way the vocal's done. Yeah. It's kind of moving into, in moving into that area. Yeah. Obviously filtered through their own, the way that, you know, the way they do it. It just comes out different. Yeah, that's right. And, and the end section is a little bit musical, I think, you know. Yeah. When you go like a rat in the empty top hat. And you can almost see someone flicking their, their top hat off and tap dancing. Right, right. It's such a mix of, of references and genres, aren't there? Yeah. And then all the black notes of pianos play a strange cadenza. Yeah, that's a nice throwback to the, the central image of the piano as, the, as both the key instrument in the recording, gizmo aside, and the, you know, the key instrument or the, um, in the story itself. Mm. And, of course, we have Blint in his usual fashion, portentous as ever, just ending the side. Omen when goldfish commit suicide. Just a little correction to something I said earlier about at the hop. Having played it on the guitar, I noticed that I must have made a little bit of an error there. The notes that Danny and the Juniors sing aren't one three five seven they actually go one three five eight one three five eight so the top note is actually the eighth note of the scale the the octave if you like and funnily enough those numbers add up to yeah you guessed it 17 naturally been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening